Hello, everybody, <laughs> and welcome to our sixth session of RCS Rocking Chairs. This is Maria Teresa and Elisa Di Battista. Elisa Di Battista. And we are here today with our guest, Donna Ruff. <laughs> did I say that right? No, you did not. <laughs> Let me try. Is it Donna Ruff? It's Donna Ruff. It's, it's Donna Ruff. Yeah, it's not like the German Thomas Ruff. That's oh. where I come yes. from. Yes. You know exactly I know. where I come from. I know where you're coming from. But actually, Ruff is shortened from Asheruff, which mm. was a Russian name. Asheruff. Asheruff. Yes. And so the pronunciation, the, it's kind of like a phonetic spelling that is, that is Americanized yeah. or so. Yeah, because well, it was just chopped off. The, mm -hmm. the, the last part of it was chopped off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah of course, I pronounce it wrong. I pronounce it like in German, you would say roof. Yeah. Roof. That's how you would say it. That's <laughs> right. Well, I'm curious, knowing since um, your name has a history, like you said, it, it's Russian and then it was chopped. Is your background slightly Russian as well? No, that's just like the Jewish diaspora. Oh. You know, my, my grandparents were from Poland okay. or Russia or Lithuania or who knows because the borders kept moving. And changing. And um, so, yeah, I mean, my, my, that's my paternal grandfather. Mm -hmm. On my mother's side also it was their now climbs, but it used to be something else. And I wish I knew more about that, but, you know, all those guys are gone except for my dad, and my dad can talk about being in the Army for, like, hours on end. Really? <laughs> yes, but he, he doesn't know that much about his ancestry. Mm -hmm. But so. he was in the Army here, in the American yeah, Army? Yeah, yeah, he yeah. Was in the, he was in the big one, as mm -hmm. he calls it, World War II. He was in World War II? Yeah, he's 94. Oh, that's awesome. You still have him around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you have this direct great. connection to history. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Wonderful. And that's all I have to do is ask him. It's amazing how much he remembers about those days. Where was he? He was in the Philippines. In the Philippines? Yeah. And he was, he was actually a guard at a jail mm -hmm. for um, prisoners of war. And I didn't think we would be talking about I this. I mean, you never so know what comes out. Yeah, right. Um, so there was this spy named Tokyo Rose. Um, she was a Japanese, like a propagandist, and she was in the jail. But as he tells me, he was not her jailer, but she was in the jail, Tokyo Rose. Such a lovely name, though. But it's just this connection to history, which I do feel connects to your work. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious if you select the subject matter of your work specifically to any certain theme, or how is it that you connect um, with the subjects that you select for your artwork? Well, so I'll give you a little backstory. Oh, please do. Um, mm -hmm. Because I went to graduate school quite late. I had a whole nother career as an illustrator. And I used to do children's books, among other things. So I was kind of used to thinking sequentially, mm -hmm. and thinking almost cinematically because when you do a picture book you're really thinking about like 
you know, the establishing shot and like close-ups and this and that. And so, and doing that in graphic design for so many years, then I got to a point where I just, it was changing so much because of the computer and... You were hand drawing still. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was, I was doing it with... Um, my style was a kind of like a soft realism with mm -hmm. colored pencil and pastel mm -hmm. and airbrush, mm -hmm. which is probably one of the reasons why my lungs are so screwed up now. <laughs> is that really, is oh, that really yeah. uh, oh. to toxic, well, the airbrush? Well, I wasn't thinking about it at all. For safety. And now you're in the process of making your, like, yeah. Oh, I used to use cobalt blue inks, you know, and I'd be airbrushing a big sky, you know, and later on blowing blue ink out of my nose, you know. I, I mean, yeah, it was not not good health-wise. Um, but that's getting off the subject. So I wanted to go to art school because I never really put myself into that. Mm -hmm. I was a single mom. As an illustrator, I could work at home. I could make my hours, you know, and be there for my kid. And mm -hmm. it was supporting myself and doing really well actually mm -hmm. um, and so it worked for me for mm -hmm. many many years and I loved it mm -hmm. but I got to a point where I didn't love it anymore mm -hmm. oh. and I really wanted to be a serious artist you know mm -hmm. air quotes yeah, air and quotes. so I I went to Vermont Studio Center oh, exciting. and did a residency there and I mm -hmm. met an artist named um, Lauren Ewing and she is or was a professor at Rutgers. Mm -hmm. And she, I was living in Connecticut at the time. Mm -hmm. And she suggested that I apply there, even though I was like 50 years old. Mm -hmm. And so I did. And I got in, I think because of her. Mm -hmm. and um, Or your amazing or work. Your work. Well, my work I don't think was amazing at mm -hmm. that time. I didn't know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I really didn't. Mm -hmm. And Rutgers was a very conceptual school. Mm -hmm. That's so exciting. Mm -hmm. So I, as an illustrator, they knew that was my background. Mm -hmm. And um, one of my professors said, don't tell anybody that you were an illustrator. There's just snooty sometimes. Such it's a like, stigma. Because back then, I mean, this is like in 1998, yeah. illustration and commercial art was really frowned upon in the art world. I mean, now there's so much work that's illustrative. It's yeah. really a joke. I could have really it's crossed sort of... over. Totally. Yeah. And, but I didn't. I, I completely turned my back on figuration. I completely turned my back on any kind of representational work. Um, and the other thing that happened... I'm going to get back around to what Welcome we're talking about. Um, my mother, my mother, was diagnosed with brain cancer mm. in like the summer, well, the winter of 1998, mm -hmm. and so she died right before I went to grad school. Mm -hmm. And she was from the time she was diagnosed until she died was six months. She lost the ability to speak. The first thing that we noticed was her handwriting got very weird, mm -hmm. very small. Mm -hmm. change. Yeah. And um, so all this to say, like, when I went to grad school and I was at this conceptual school and they you know, and I was thinking, well, what do I want to make work about? And I was really processing the death of my mother, which is a big deal when you lose your mother. Yeah. 
and she was only 72. Mm -hmm. so, um, so I was thinking about language mm -hmm. and the origins of language and um, reading a lot about it. Mm -hmm. and, and I was introduced to all of this 70s French feminists like mm -hmm. Helene Sujou and, um, you know, I, mm -hmm. they probably won't come into my brain right now. Mm -hmm. But um, we get the chist, like we yeah, get the feeling. Yeah, we got mm -hmm. it. And um, Juliet Kresteva, mm -hmm. who I'm sure you guys have read. I have not read. Have you read her? In grad school. Yeah. Yes. yeah. And, and so thinking about language as phallocentric or you know, being a feminist from way back in the day, mm -hmm. I wanted to explore the idea of language, where it originated in the body, um, and how it could be expressed uh, in writing mm -hmm. in a way that avoided the phallocentric nature of writing, which is what, you know, I was kind of like all reading about at that time. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so I came up with this language that I made from making Rorschach blots, mm -hmm. and I made a whole bunch of them, and then I kind of just made these um, very large uh, panels with, uh, oh, well, the Rorschach blot, that after I made it, after I made it with folding the paper, then I transferred that to a linoleum block print. Mm -hmm. and. Then I just had a whole bunch of them. You made mm -hmm. like different yeah. Yes. Yes. alphabet. Yeah, I was wow. making my own alphabet. Mm -hmm. And I thought of it as a language of gesture. This was sort of the conceit that I put on this because really looking back on it, like, okay, that's a bit of a stretch, but at that time, you know, it, it seemed like that's where I was going. And the Rorschach thing really had so much to do with my mother looking at brain scans and thinking about, you know, what's going on in the brain mm -hmm. and interpretations of things. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where I got started with language. That's, that was also um, the sequential nature of, of the books that come and, and also the graphic design. Mm -hmm. So for my thesis show, I had this very large arc-shaped thing. It was, um, I think it was eight feet high by about, I want to say almost 20 feet wide. Oh, so it was oh like a presence. It yeah. Was... Well, it was, and and it was gampy paper, which is kind of like skin. It's beautiful. I still have the source for this paper that's handmade in Japan, and it has a beautiful luster to it. It's really expensive. Is and it like they, they make the scrolls with that paper? Well, or is the, it more for just paintings? Or you know, I don't know exactly what the use is. The original use for gampy paper. Yeah, I mean, the Japanese have so many uses for paper. Yeah, packaging and you know and everything else. Mm -hmm. This particular paper um, is so it it it's it's just. Gorgeous. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can show you. I have some in my studio. I can mm -hmm. show it to you. Mm -hmm. So I made it into strips, and I and I printed these blots. And so the whole there was an arc shape thing. So on the inside were all of these strips with the blots, and on the outside were just strips that were plain. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. that didn't have writing on them. Mm -hmm. and, and I had a friend build me this big framework so that there was a bit of room in between the inside and the outside. And because the paper was kind of translucent, but I had a light on the inside. So um, you could kind of see that there was something going on in there, but you had to go into it to see the actual blots. Mm -hmm. And so it was, it was a space. It was a sacred space mm -hmm. with all of these blots. Mm -hmm. And in the Jewish religion, um, the ark is the holiest thing in the, in the synagogue. Mm -hmm. The ark is where the Torah is kept. Mm -hmm. So the word ark, A-R-C, is the shape, mm -hmm. but A-R-K is the holy place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so close. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I wanted there to be that relationship mm -hmm. of going into a sacred space to be able to read this language that was made by gesture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. I have, yeah, I have this question as a follow-up to that because I wrote down, um, how does your text translate into your work? Because I wasn't aware of these ink blots, this language that you created when you were in graduate school, because I know that you use text now. Mm -hmm. So my question would be, I guess, how is your relationship from that text, the voyage that you were using, that you made and you created to express the need of of loss and desire to figure out the, the beginnings of communication and language to the language and text you utilize now in your work. Mm -hmm. Well, when I, when I use text now, I'm really kind of subverting the text. Okay. And in a way, I was subverting the text then. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've kind of moved on from that because I felt like that was, um, well, I was about to say decorative, but I, I don't mind decorative. My work is decorative and I don't mind that. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was still a, a, a kind of subversion of language and of writing. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to remember, because I knew we were going to talk about this, and I was, I, there was a very important article that I read, and I think it was Claude Levi-Strauss, but I can't remember, and my thesis is locked away somewhere, because I really would have liked to look it up. Mm -hmm. And I, but I think it was Claude Levi-Strauss because it was an anthropological study of the idea of writing. Mm -hmm. When the chief would write, that was considered like magic mm -hmm. because nobody else knew how to do it. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea of writing as um, a, a spiritual act, it's, it's, very, it's very common. Mm -hmm. It's common in... The Quran, for instance, mm -hmm. and that's why they make these beautiful writing instruments to write in the Quran, or to when you um, read from the Torah, you're not allowed to touch it with your fingers, mm -hmm. and so you you read, you follow along with this thing that's called a yad, mm -hmm. and it's a very elaborate pointer, mm -hmm. and that is how you follow along. So the idea of writing um, as, as like a direct link to God, I think is really wow. fascinating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then fast forward to doing the work with the newspaper, which is relatively recent. I think I've only been doing that for about five years. Mm -hmm. um, so the newspaper is a means of communication. Mm -hmm. 
and it's it's a disposable means of communication. Mm -hmm. um, but when we read it, we're just kind of looking at you know bits and pieces anyway. Mm -hmm. And so the two things kind of came together: the decoration and the subversion of the text. Mm -hmm. But I didn't think to myself, okay, I'm going to subvert text and I'm going to make text. You know, it just was something I was interested in, and and it relates back to that whole thing. Mm -hmm. Of course, as a psychologist, I have to ask you a little bit more about the Rorschach test. You okay. know, because you said for you it was it was language. It was like a, a, a form of language that you kind of came up with. Mm -hmm. When you use a Rorschach test as a psychologist, it's basically also to to assess a state of a person, right? And it's actually very difficult to learn the whole thing, the whole procedure. It takes, I don't know how long, I never learned it, but I saw the, I saw the pictures. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, and we all saw the pictures. We all saw the pictures, right? <laughs> but usually, when you, when, you, when you get a Rorschach test, um, when you do a Rorschach test, you have to come up with some kind of association, right? So it, it is a, right. uh, you, you see this clax, Tintin clax, we say in German. And, uh, and then you, you come up with, yeah, I see my father, I see a dragon. And then you kind of, you, the, the answer is then being categorized. Mm -hmm. And that system is like really sophisticated. Is that something that you also try to do? Kind of like to translate your, your clex, your, your, you know, your shape, your, mm -hmm. like your Rorschach test into something? That, that you saw something in it well, that not, you could translate? Yeah, but n not so much back then. Mm -hmm. When I was making them, I was just really doing blots. I don't know if you, if you know Bruce, um, uh, Bruce Connors' work. Yeah, I do. So I, I had seen the, the ink blot things that he mm -hmm. had done. And mm -hmm. I, I mean, he was the master. Mm -hmm. I, I, I still, I saw the show of his work I guess it was at the modern, mm -hmm. like a big retrospective, and there were all of you know his. He's mm -hmm. been a big influence on me. I have oh, stolen okay. from him a lot. Wonderful. <laughs> so Wonderful. that's a good guy to steal from. <laughs> yeah. So um, so it was it was the combination of of the the brain scans that are you know symmetrical mm -hmm. or not, um, and seeing his work, and Andy Warhol also did some stuff with Rorschach. And, and then thinking about this idea of making, oh, and there's also the Chinese artist, it's it Jinping, I think, mm -hmm. um, who did this thing called the Book of the World, where he made up, he made up Chinese, um, you know, uh, glyphs or whatever, mm -hmm. that they didn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then he printed this huge scroll that went, mm -hmm really need to know who the what what his proper what the real person's name is because mm -hmm. I'm remembering I'm, I could be remembering the name wrong mm -hmm. but he was also a big mm -hmm. influence on me mm -hmm. so the so the the linoleum blocks were kind of like that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um and so there was all of this kind of baggage that went into coming it. Yeah. but it was like like you said mainly it was also for you Remembering the scans of your mom mm -hmm. and, the, and the brain cancer in those—that's mm -hmm. what you probably saw in those. Um, yeah, in those shapes. Well, I was mm -hmm. really interested in symmetry. Yeah, and and I did stuff with symmetry for a long time. Mm -hmm. 
feel like your work now is so very symmetrical. I mean, they're not, some of them are asymmetrical, but I do see the connection. I know you mentioned like that it's just this, this balance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, now I'm working a lot with asymmetry, mm -hmm. but, um, but the, the, the forms themselves have a lot of symmetry in them. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of working on a larger piece and, and it becomes asymmetrical and I'm really cutting away from the, the, the edges. edges and, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I saw that. Yeah. yeah. I do want to talk about um, what, what, what was my next thought, uh, the use of negative space, which mm -hmm. is so important in your work. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, in, when, when, you, when you did those Rorschach tests, it was basically the negative space was the rest of the sheet, right? Mm -hmm. And there was like this, um, the, the, the shape of the brain or whatever that changed, you know, with mm -hmm. each block. And now you're using negative space very controlled. Right. So the level of control was getting higher mm -hmm. from the point where you were still like letting the ink do what it does when mm -hmm. you fold it right and now can you talk a little bit more about that about that uh, development in your work well i think that um there was there was like a transitional time in there where i was making um drawings of tree limbs without leaves on them mm -hmm. And I was making little books, <clears throat> um, like accordion books. I still have them in my studio. I can show you. And I would take the photograph and I would take a portion of it. So it was a long, long Japanese folded book, you know, the little um, um, mole, uh, it's not mole, what is it? Um, moleskin. <laughs> moleskin. Oh, the most, the nice, yeah. the nice. Yeah, there. really nice paper, and mm -hmm. but they have some that are Japanese folded, and it's long, 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 long. Okay. I mean, it's like this long. Mm -hmm. And so I, I made drawings in, in those books of these tree limbs and, and twisted um, twigs and all that. Mm -hmm. And I, the first one I made with graphite where I drew the tree. Mm -hmm. The second one... I did by, um, first I, I drew the tree and I kind of painted it with black, but then I went back in and I painted all of the negative space with white. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. There was something about bringing the negative space forward that mm -hmm. I found really interesting. Mm -hmm. And so then when I started doing these burn drawings on book pages, mm -hmm. and I was using the tree limbs as, um, and, and by the way, that first series of burn pieces I was doing on book pages of Freud, a, a book of Freud's writing. Mm -hmm. So it was also symmetrical that I would take the tree limbs and I would trace them onto the book and I would burn away the negative space. Mm -hmm. So what happened was that I had, I had basically three things. I had the matrix of the book with the little burned edges I had the negative space of the holes, and I had the shadow on the wall when they were put up against, you know, um, a wall or, or mat board or whatever. And it would go through one page of well, the book or through the whole book? No, it's one page. One page. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I know how to take a book apart mm -hmm. so that I can have a spread. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really easy to do, mm -hmm. but because I've made books, I know how they're mm -hmm. constructed. So. Mm -hmm. So you can deconstruct them. Um, so I can deconstruct mm -hmm. them, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so I did like 26 or 27 of those. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I think I have maybe one or two left. Mm -hmm. They've all been raced with, you know, various people. Mm -hmm. um, so being interested in the negative space really was from a, a few years of doing these burn drawings where I was burning out the negative space. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when I started cutting, then I found, and because I was using such a distinct pattern, mm -hmm. I found that um, I wanted the negative space to be as important as, you know, I wanted there to be that kind of shift in, in perception of what was negative and what was positive. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where I am now. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a, a confusion between, or a role switch, right? Between yeah, the negative and the positive, like a role reversal. You don't know anymore what what is like the negative and the positive space. There's no hierarchy in it anymore. Because sometimes like there is a hierarchy, right? right that the, They're both the, equally important. Yeah. They're both, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and when people just sort of, their, their first glance, we're talking about the newspaper pieces mm -hmm. now. At first glance, they might just see the pattern of yeah. the negative space, mm -hmm. and then if they look more closely, they see, oh, there's, you know, this is on the newspaper, and here's the text, and here's the photo, and mm -hmm. then they start thinking, like, well, why, why did she leave that little bit, or, you know, why, why did she cut away that? Mm -hmm. um, so that went on for a few years, and then a couple of years ago when the migrant situation in Europe was just so dire, mm -hmm. I started collecting the front pages that had to do with that. Mm -hmm. But I, I draw the line. I mean, people have asked me about this because remember when there was that little boy that was on the beach? Yeah. And I will not, I will not do one with something like that. I will not do one where there's a corpse or, you know, something really horrible. Mm -hmm. um, the ones that I chose were, people were having, you know, I mean, it wasn't exactly a happy situation. They're, you know, in the water or they're, they're being handed out clothes or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I draw the line at, at that. How come? I guess because, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting question. And now I'm going to go on a tangent. It's all related. <laughs> so, you know the artist Carolee Schneeman? Yes. She had this amazing piece for our listeners who don't know her, where she pulled out a, was scroll. It a scroll from mm -hmm. her vagina right. in a performance, and right. there was something written on the scroll, and yeah. she read that. Right? Yes. It was like a manifesto or something. Right. Mm -hmm. was, that's right. Right, yeah. Um, and she actually now is getting a lot of kind of renewed interest in mm -hmm. her work. I think she... Did I read that she was in the Venice Biennale or um, something? Mm -hmm. There's some big thing, mm -hmm. that some big honor she mm -hmm. just got. Mm -hmm. Anyway, after 9-11, now I was living in New York, and I was living in Brooklyn where you, I had a clear view of what was going on. Mm -hmm. and, um, and it was quite, you know, for everybody, it was just so devastating in so many ways. Mm -hmm. The days afterwards, the sadness, the fear, then we had the anthrax scare. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I remember um, I was meeting my son who was still living in New York at the time and I was meeting him at a gallery on 57th Street to see a, um, 
Gerhard Richter show, mm-hmm. actually. <laughs> this really sticks in my mind. Um, and, um, and he was late, you know? And, I mean, anytime somebody wasn't showing up, you just immediately your mind went to all this horrible stuff. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it just seemed like, why make art? Because why? It just seems like a dopey thing to do. Yeah. Under these circumstances that were so existential, where it was like life and death, and yeah. everyone was so traumatized. Why do why make anything? Right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, it sort of took a while to kind of get back into and and to make art to kind of process process it. Okay. So I was at a college art association convention. Um, I guess maybe it was the following year, and Carolee Schneeman was presenting her work, mm-hmm. her recent work. Mm-hmm. And she, she, first of all, she has a cat, and she had all of these pictures of her cat. So, I mean, really? <laughs> she was showing pictures of her cat she at was, the lecture? Yes, she was. <laughs> But she also was showing art that she had done, work that she had done, where she had taken the photographs of people having jumped off of the building. Oh, Now, you couldn't so see them. You know, they were kind of like shadowy. But... I just thought, that's wrong. That is wrong. Mm-hmm. Now, that's me. Mm-hmm. Obviously, for her, she felt that was fair game. Mm-hmm. So this is just something that, I mean, I guess I just draw the line at aesthetically, you know, it might be entirely hypocritical because I have done, I have done, Um, front pages where there's been explosions and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But I just, it, when it becomes personal like that, I, I just can't, I don't want to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. First of all, I don't want to look at a picture of a dead boy. Mm-hmm. It was horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, because I have to work on those things for hours and hours. Hours and hours. And hours. They take me about a week to do. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to look at that. Mm-hmm. But I, when, when Carol Leishen even showed that work, I just, My whole, I, it was like a total judgment. I was like... You felt it, you felt yes. that, that's not... I, I felt it, it went over the line. Mm-hmm. But, you know, every, anything's fair game in art. Mm-hmm. So this is just a personal thing mm-hmm. on my part. Mm-hmm. But it also affects like your decisions when you say when you do select certain newspaper articles. You, mm-hmm. You've selected this is not the line I want to cross. Like, for mm-hmm. example, all the... The images of the children in Syria, like you will not obviously do that image, um, and it's your right as an artist because that's not necessarily what you want to address. Yeah, um, this removal of these pieces is um, interesting to me because I want to know: Do you use them? Is it like you're removing history? Are you removing the language from the newspaper articles? How is it that you perceive that? I think mostly I'm trying to control what you see on that page. I'm trying to control the viewer's response to it. I'm, cert- I'm inserting authorship yes. in there. Through the removal. Mm-hmm. Through removal and... Addition of... And, and leaving behind. Yeah, yeah because I mean, you're focusing the viewer's gaze also yes. through what, like, what you leave behind becomes more important. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you were talking about history when we first yes. started this whole thing. 
And I've always been interested in history. I have a degree in art history. So um, I, re I read that on your website. You have a BA and an MA from UMNFIU here in Miami, right? No, FSU. 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 Yeah. Yeah. State. Mm. yeah, I've got three degrees. Mm. Oh, wow. I, I thought I was going to be an art historian. I, I was very interested in that, and I wrote my thesis on um, a woman architect. You can see I was like all the feminists, you know, when I was teaching at FSU, when I was a teaching assistant, and wow. I had to do the survey course. Can you imagine them giving a survey course to a teaching assistant? <laughs> and I had to put together the slide lectures and the whole thing. And, and I kept putting in, like, all these women artists, you know, just because this was in 73 or 4, and the women's movement was really just at, you know, starting to be a big deal. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and so I was all gung-ho about that. So my thesis was about this woman, Marion Mahoney Griffin, who was one of the first women to graduate from architecture school. Mm -hmm. And she worked in Frank Lloyd Wright's, um, uh, his, his early office in um, Oak Park, Illinois. Now, mm -hmm. my family's from Chicago, mm -hmm. and I don't know if I still have it on my website, but my grandparents had this scrap paper company. You Chicago. did. I read up on that. Yeah, so, I, that was very interesting to me. Yeah. So the so, connection to paper started very early. Yeah, because I used to go down there and see these big bales of paper and everything shredded and everything, and my parents were always giving me paper to draw. And my mother said that's why I became an artist. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, um, I felt a connection to Chicago because mm -hmm. I had, I had lived there until I was almost eight. Mm -hmm. And um, and so this woman, Mary Mahoney Griffin, was a wonderful draftsman. Mm -hmm. And she did a lot of Frank Lloyd Wright's architectural drawings. Mm -hmm. But she was not um, credited. Of course. Mm -hmm. So in my thesis, I talked about, you know, specific drawings and saying, you know, that he signed them, but that she had probably done them. Mm -hmm. And um, I think I might have stretched the truth a little bit, but not that much. Mm -hmm. Because later on, there was a book written about her by a real, you know, historian. And my thesis was cited in it. Oh, my God. Yeah. I know. That's I so was great. a footnote. Because <laughs> my thesis is still at the Art Institute. Everybody who um, writes about... You know, there's architectural people from the Chicago, um, that Chicago group, Louis Sullivan and Frank Lloyd Wright and, mm -hmm. you know, and, and all those guys. Um, it's in the artist. It gets archived there. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So that was pretty exciting. Wow. The connection to history. So yeah. Good. Incredible the journey that you made in your life, you know, from being an illustrator to being an art historian. Well, first I was the art historian. You were the art historian first. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you did right after yeah. high school. Well, no, after high school. I mean, I've lived a lot of chapters. After high school, I was married. I mm -hmm. mean, no, I mean, I went to college, went to UM. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was married and had a kid already. Mm -hmm. And. I was an art teacher. I was kind of like a substitute art teacher. Mm -hmm. And then um, when my husband and I split up, because we were both very young, mm -hmm. and he was in the film production business, mm -hmm. still is, mm -hmm. and he got me a job at the Dade County School Board mm -hmm. with a guy 
named Mark Chinoy. I can't believe I remember his name. He's such a bastard, that guy. <laughs> if Shout you're out. listening, Mark, hello. <laughs> um, and he had been a conscientious subjector in the war, in the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. And so when he came home, he had to do a civil service or whatever, mm-hmm. community service. So he had worked for a while for Jim Henson and the Muppets, Mm -hmm. and he knew how to make Muppets, and he knew how to do stop-motion animation. Mm -hmm. And so he was hired by the school board to do public service announcements for the school board. Mm -hmm. So somehow I got a job working for him. So I knew how to do, we made Muppets, and we made these little plasticine critters and and did um, stop-motion animation, which was really like crazy, so hard to do. Incredible, it's like so much work. It's so much work, but thinking about it now, I mean, what I do now is so much work. Yeah, you you are a hard worker. Yeah, I must be very OCD, but um, it, you know, you're sort of, moving them just like a tiny little bit, take a picture, move a tiny little bit. If you kick a light or something, the whole day is, and, and it wasn't digital, so it had to go to the lab. So you didn't even know until it came back. Yeah. There was oh a problem. <laughs> oh my God, it was like really nuts. I mean, when I see, um, you know, Tim Burton's movies like The Night Before Christmas, yeah, I just, I get chest pain looking at them. <laughs> Because you oh see the God. work, you see know, the work behind. I know how much work went into I don't even know how did they do that because you shot on 35 millimeter film, or did you shoot on 16 millimeter we motion shot picture on film? 16. You did single frame yes. exposures, and yes. then you had the film already. Right. You didn't have to transfer it no. to film. It was already shot on film. Right. It just went motion right picture to the, film. Right to oh, the lab. Wow. Yeah, we just had like a 16 millimeter Bolex. Yeah. Is that an anxiousness you feel now in the present with your work? Do you fully <laughs> visualize what the end product will be like? Or is it as you're making each and every single cut, there's that unknown? It's always unknown. Mm-hmm. It's and, and towards the end is when it gets really hard. Mm-hmm. Because I have to figure out what to do with the edges. And, and I, I mean, when I first start out, I'm kind of like, oh yeah, la-di-da, cutting. I'm going to leave this part of the picture, la-di-da. But then as I'm getting towards the end, then I'm really making a lot of choices. I'm constantly looking at it and constantly putting it against black so I can really see the pattern mm-hmm. and see what the shape of it is and everything. So that's, that's when it gets hard. Where does the pattern come from? Is that something you think of before or that it has a source somewhere? Or is it something that evolves, like that comes out of just working it um, well let me let me just back up mm-hmm. again mm-hmm. because uh, I was doing the the, um, the stop film, motion. yeah the stop mm-hmm. motion and filmmaking and stuff mm-hmm. and then I became an illustrator from there I understand mm-hmm. and I was um, I was doing illustrations with these little plasticine figures and I used to do like tropic magazine covers and stuff mm-hmm. um, so I was an illustrator here. Mm-hmm. for a few years and then I decided I wanted to move to New York mm-hmm. and I was an illustrator in New York and that was hard because I I knew really basically very few people in New York and I had to go around and try to actually get work wow. you can't do that anymore I mean yeah. it doesn't happen yeah. um, but anyway so that so it was like first the art historian then doing the film then the illustrator and then 
the fine arts. The fine arts girl. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that that's those are the chapters of my life. If you want to hear about the men that that went <laughs> along with that, we can talk about that later. There was always a pairing of one man with each well, phase. <laughs> yeah. Actually, the last one, the last really like serious relationship I had, he saw me in the transition from being an illustrator and making lots of money and you know and kind of like I'm always home mm -hmm. to being a fine artist and all of a sudden I'm, I'm talking to him about, you know, language being phallocentric and, and, and sex being, you know, an act of violence against women. <laughs> I mean, that was wow. not, not good for the relationship. What a transformation. Grad school is really hard on relationships Grad school is so hard. It's yeah, like, if I you don't survive know. grad school yeah. and you're in a relationship, like, that's going to last Even forever. the people who get together in grad school are, don't have I, very I know, good odds. I know, right? oh, I know. Oh, the people that I knew from grad school, I mean, they went back and forth between, like, you know, maybe they were with women, they were men, yeah. <laughs> back with women. You know, it was just really a crazy time. It really takes you apart and puts you together in a different way. That's yeah. what grad school yeah. does. In a I, way. I was very naive about that. Mm. Anyway, so in, in answer to your question about the patterns. So mm. um, I have a program, I have software that mm. builds um, patterns that are like tiled. Mm -hmm. And you can, you, can, um, you can vary it a bit, but you always sort of end up with rosettes and stars. Mm -hmm. So I got a little tired of that and then I started making my own patterns in Illustrator, but they're never as precise as the ones that the program makes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I do both. Mm -hmm. Is that the patterns that come out of the program, are those usually used for mosaics or is that? Yeah, they're, they're uh, you know, it's, it was developed by a guy, a professor in Canada mm -hmm. and um, and people use it to to do like architectural details mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and he's he's very generous with it. He just says, if you're going to use it for any kind of commercial purpose, please pay me twenty five dollars. Mm -hmm. That was it. So um, once I I found that program and I first started cutting the patterns from handmade paper. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a whole bunch of stuff that I did with that. And then one day I decided to use the newspaper because I was sitting there sort of staring at this pile of newspapers because I've been getting the New York Times for, I mean, I don't know how long, at, at least 45 years. Wow. Print version, every day, no matter where I lived. Miami, Connecticut, New York, Santa Fe, always got it. And now I, I have the worst newspaper delivery people and I never know if it's going to be there and it just drives me Miami, yeah. shout out, yeah. Miami. It happened it. to me too and I know a third person who has really big delivery issues at what the New is York the Times. What is the deal with that? I, I, I don't think they deliver it themselves. There is like, no, they deliver it with the other people. With the, with the Herald. The Herald. Yeah. And so I think Probably the communication doesn't work so well, or <laughs> they just seem to quit after two weeks. They do, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah I had the same I'm issues. So calling them mm -hmm. and ugh, anyway, let's. They are very nice. Like the New York Times people are very yes. nice. I, but they have no control over what's they, happening. No, that's here. the problem, right? Yeah. I think they would fix it if they have control over I it. Agree. But 
Maybe that's a niche. One of our listeners could come up with a better <laughs> solution system for people in Miami to get their New York Times uh, issue. That would well, be I, amazing. That would be great. Mm -hmm. I would pay extra. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, we, we we had a new guy finally, and I got the paper every day last week, and I was like, I'm going to leave this guy ten dollars <gasps> just because. And then this morning I had no paper. Oh, so you no. quit again. <laughs> oh, no. I don't know. The guy across the way had the Herald, but I didn't get the Times today. Oh, no. Anyway, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. I, I, I call the guy and I say, you don't understand. I really need that paper. That's <laughs> my work. That's my That's work. That's my work. Yeah, but they wouldn't really understand that. So. Anyway. I want to talk a little bit more about the immigrants here since uh, was it your, your grand parents' generation were immigrants here mm -hmm. in the United States, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, can you talk a little bit more about, you know, how you came up with, how you were drawn to this particular... The migrants yeah. thing? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it has a lot to do with the plight of children, mm -hmm. me being a parent and now I'm a grandparent. Okay. And, um, yeah, it's great. It's your first, first grandchild? Yeah, my first and only. It's going to be my only. How do you know that? No, I know that because my kids are a little older. Oh, okay. Um, but um, well, I don't know. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll adopt. I don't know. Oh, God, please. If you're listening, <laughs> cut this out. Um, so so I'm, I'm always kind of, when I see something happening to children, I just, mm -hmm. I can't bear it. Yeah. I just can't, cannot bear it. Yeah. And, of course, we're all immigrants here. I mean, yeah. The three of us are immigrants. This is very true. Um, or, you know, I'm a child of immigrant, mm -hmm. immigrants. So, I was a child immigrant. Mm -hmm. you're, you're second generation. Right? No, I wasn't born here, but I immigrated here as a child. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I mean, I, my heart goes out to these people. Mm -hmm. So, growing up in Miami, I mean, I moved here when I was eight years old. From Chicago, you From moved Chicago. to Miami. Mm -hmm. And... In '59, I was um, in junior high school, and so around '59-'60 is when the Cubans started coming, mm -hmm. and everything changed. Mm -hmm. Everything changed. You can't imagine what Miami was like before the Cubans. Mm -hmm. It was South Beach was a sleepy ghost town mm -hmm. with old people sitting out on the porches. Mm -hmm. Lincoln Road, you know was just, before, it wasn't even a mall mm -hmm. at that time. Um, it, it just, everything changed. Mm -hmm. You know, and a lot of cute guys. <laughs> a lot of cute guys. So that was nice. Mm -hmm. Nice to look at. <laughs> it was nice to look at and, you know, kind of have, like, you know, things going on. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and so it's just all, it's all about, you know, the diversity of, mm -hmm of Miami. Mm -hmm. Cultural enrichment. It's yeah. such a mm -hmm. special place. I have to say, I lived in San Francisco before I moved here, but that's really what makes Miami Miami, the, the cultural diversity and this, all those histories of the people that live here together. Mm -hmm. Like, we're sitting here in, 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 in this studio. In the Big House with, Art Complex. In the Big House Art Complex. <laughs> Shout out. Uh -huh. And uh, we are... Uh, a woman from born in Panama with a Mexican mother with a Mexican mother who came to Miami as a child yes and as a political refugee as well yeah 
So, and then we have um, an Austrian woman born and bred in Austria with generation of Austrians before me who <laughs> decided to come to, to the United States and who actually had a grandmother who was born 1912, who was invited as a kid to go with, uh, with her, I think, step-aunt or something to immigrate uh, with, with um, further relatives really? because they were so poor at that time in Austria. And she said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to leave my mother. And two generations later, I'm ending up being Wow, so, you're, yeah, so mm. you're kind of living that, that narrative. That, that, that possibility, yeah. yes. And then we have you as a first generation. Well, I'm really second. Second generation. Yeah. And yeah. from, uh, from Poland all over Eastern, Euro mm -hmm. Eastern European. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it's, it, that is, but that is Miami everyday life, I mm -hmm. feel. And that is like, that makes all those conversations here so rich and so special, especially mm -hmm. when we are talking about this theme of immigration. Mm -hmm. That is, I mean, I've been touched by it because Austria is just also so in the middle of it. And, yeah. and especially when, when that truck was found on the highway and there was like this full truck was full of immigrants uh, right. who were smuggled over the border and then left there to die in this oh, truck right. for they were there forever in the in the heat of the summer before they were found and that really was was the point where i was i was really hooked also on on mm -hmm. on all the stories and all the and all the politics and of course um I was. I felt very proud of my country when they were like saying, like, yeah, we let people go with the train. They all wanted to go to Germany, Germany, and they mm -hmm. were really just waving them through for a long time. And of course, Germany, in in their um, generosity, was taking on so many so many immigrants. It's ironic, um, isn't it? Yeah. I'll tell you, I I am very ashamed of us, of Americans, mm -hmm. when I see the Canadians who have welcomed Syrians, I mean, you know, not, they can't have every Syrian family, but they, they have managed on, on a private basis, you know, yeah. that they have groups of people that support the families when they come. Yes. And, and, and then look at us, and with all of the resources that we have in this country. Yeah. You know, that's not to say that there aren't people in this country that are suffering because they've lost their jobs. But those immigrants aren't going to take their jobs. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's, it, it's not a cause and effect kind of thing. Yeah. And it's just a humanitarian yeah. issue. Yeah. Yeah. In, in terms of art making, um, you mentioned the, I don't know if it's necessarily hopelessness or, or why even make it um, in terms of creating artwork after um, such a tragic and basically life-changing event as it was as in 9-11 or these, these atrocities that continue to happen overseas. I feel that in the artwork that you make, at least with the newspaper articles, when you do um, portray and cut out from these images and these articles, I feel that it's not useless to make artwork. I feel that you're shining a light even though it's not so in your face for people to somehow enter it in an aesthetically pleasing way, not necessarily just decorative, so that they don't feel threatened, and they can somehow be, oh, well, this is happening, and have an awareness to it, and be connected to a world history that is happening right now. Well, thank you for saying that, because sometimes I worry that I'm, I'm somehow profiting from other people's misfortune, but I don't, 
I don't look at it that way. I look mm -hmm. at it as news. Mm -hmm. I'm in a show, actually, that's opening June 1st. Oh, please tell us where. Well, it's at um, this place called the Flag Foundation, mm -hmm. okay. which is in Chelsea. And the Flag Foundation is basically this one collector, Glenn Foreman's collection. And they have a gallery as well, and they kind of put on shows that sort of um, combine the collection with other artists' work. Mm -hmm. So they had an open call for a show, this show, which is called Times. And it's all artists who work with the New York Times. Wow. So I had to apply like everybody else because they didn't know me. Mm -hmm. And happily, my show in New York was up at the time, so mm -hmm. the curators could go over there and, and see the work. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I see that there's like a zillion artists in the show. Um, so I don't know if I'm going to, again, they only took one of my pieces after all. They were going to take three. Um, so I don't know if I'm going to get completely lost in there. But I mean, Ellsworth Kelly and Robert Gober and um, t Fred Tomaselli and, and people, yeah, like oh big names. That's amazing. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Wow. Well, I think it'll be very cool, but yeah. I think it may get reviewed, and, and I'd be very curious to see people's response to my work, mm -hmm. you know, whether they think it's, it has no gravitas because it's just decoration on the newspaper page. I don't know, you know, yeah. I, all of the insecurities that you feel about Come your on, work, yeah. mm -hmm. especially being in that context, mm -hmm. I'll be interested to see. What happens? Well, I guess I would continue. Uh, are I'm we almost so running sorry. out of time? We are already over the time, no. and we still have our special questions. I don't okay. want to. Okay. Oh, well, well, we've been but talking. You, but you have a really, really important question, right? I guess I just wanted to tell you, uh, in terms of like this feeling of like where your work is coming from. You don't start off with thinking, "Oh, I'm going to make something that's decorative." You start thinking about what am I going to conceal within the artwork when I remove this right. paper and what am I going to bring an attention to within the article so I feel like you should have this confidence in yourself that that's not your intention to take right. advantage of others mm -hmm. at least that's not how I receive your work when I read okay it. well thank you yeah. for saying that yeah. it's not like, okay. special so, question my favorite <laughs> question are we done end. like at the hour is it uh, we are we're doing 50 minutes and we're already at 53 okay. oh so, my god um, it's like a therapist so yeah, it's just like it's, so it is exactly like a therapist <laughs> session well, since, it's, since you're 50 we're 53 you said 54 54 okay one one last little quick question okay uh, because <laughs> can, can't you cut something out earlier or something? <laughs> all right go ahead the the artwork we, we've discussed mostly today is like um the adding with the ink block the, the, the paper removal the image I utilize on our preview shot is mm -hmm. it a painting? Mm -hmm. Quickly, a little, a little, your one second elevator pitch on that series, please. Okay, the well, copper series. The copper, the copper series. series. Well, it, we talked about negative space, okay. and mm -hmm. so I thought about doing these panel paintings with copper leaf, where it's the same. I incised the same pattern on each one, and each one I pulled out different parts of it as negative space. So it's kind of playing with um, the limitations of that particular pattern mm -hmm. and seeing different ways that I could. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I was trying to decode. I mean, just speaking of language, I was trying to decode, like, is this Morse? Am I looking at some alphabet that I do not recognize? So I was trying to pull that out. What's the, the language yeah, in there? Yeah, right? so what's the yeah. language in that? Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to 
All right, magical. our Thank last you. question. You, yeah, Maria honors. You have been sitting on a magical chair all this time, all these 55 minutes. <laughs> uh -huh. And you got three wishes free now after this ordeal. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully not so bad. No, no. So what would be the, the things that you would wish for if you could wish for anything? Well, first of all, I have to wish for good health for myself because yes. I've had a lot of health issues. And, and for your lungs especially. My lungs. And, and so I want to get more time with my granddaughter. So I wish for good health for myself. Mm -hmm. And I wish for good health and happiness for my kids and my mm -hmm. granddaughter. Yeah. Um, and, um, and after that... Um, <laughs> There's something more, right? There's Anything. one more. One more. Well, I mean, I, 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 I wish for the continued, you know, sort of inspiration of how of what to make because I'll tell you at a certain point I feel like these newspaper pieces have to stop and I have to go to something else mm -hmm. and I'm and I'm a little freaked out about that mm -hmm. because I'm not sure where that jump is going to be it's a new to trans what? transition that's coming up yeah I'll let it all play yeah. yeah well we look forward to your show in Chelsea and we're June first June first and it's going to run through the summer oh, and it's the, the flag foundation flag foundation flag foundation so everyone who makes it up to New York Go by it. So you go check it out. Ruffs show. <laughs> yes, did you I say it right? right. You yes, did. yes, yes, yes. It's going to be an awesome show. Oh, it's going to be wonderful. wonderful. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And Elisa, I guess thank you for coming, Donna Ruff, and being thank our guest. Thank you so much. That was thank such you. a journey. I wish we had two hours. Was like two hours. <laughs> Many chapters of my life. Yeah, it was wonderful. <laughs> thank you, Maria. For thank our you. sixth session of RCS Rocking Chair session. And thank you so much to our listeners who keep on. Coming back and listening to us. Thank and you. Don't forget about your next. Uh, oh yes. Thank you so Thank much, you, Donna. Donna. We are gonna have next week on Memorial Day. We are gonna have Claudio Roncoli on the air. I will and be translating for him. It's gonna be our first yes. uh, Spanish English Spanglish <laughs> session because Spanish. we're in Miami. Yeah, <laughs> and we're multicultural and, and we why love it. Not? Yeah. Exactly. All right. So, good night, guys. Good night. And Thank night. you. Uh, take care. <laughs> Bye. Bye.